Open your Bibles with me to Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. Now remember what the book of Galatians is about. It, it's just, it, this is home. It's, you know, when I preach out and I'm in these other places, it just, this, this is right, right here. I, I love this. Um, book of Galatians is about grace. It's about salvation by grace through faith. And don't let anybody add works to salvation. If somebody tells you you've got to do something other than trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, repent, acknowledge Him as Lord. If anybody tells you that there's anything else for your salvation, they are giving you another gospel. And the Apostle Paul said in chapter 1 and verse 6, let him be accursed. That's, that's what the Apostle Paul said. But the book of Galatians is not primarily about salvation by grace through faith. It's about living the Christian life by faith. The, the Christian life is, is hard. We live in a fallen world. We're fallen creatures. We have the Holy Spirit in us. And the only way that we can serve the Lord and go on in faith is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's, that's the only way that we can do it and through His filling. Um, so I have here, living for Jesus requires the grace of God and the indwelling Holy Spirit. Uh, how do we get that indwelling Holy Spirit? The Bible says, uh, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Ghost. Right? That's Ephesians chapter 5. Then it says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Then it goes on to say that we're supposed to be in submission one to another. Then, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Through that whole context. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16 says, Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly. And the result of the words of Christ dwelling, you richly, dwelling in you richly is the same result as being filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 5. You're going to, husbands are going to love their wives, wives are going to submit to their husbands, children are going to obey their parents. You're going to be singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Where, in, where are you going to make that? In your heart. Why? Because that's the Holy Spirit doing that in you. So what is the filling of the Holy Spirit? It is letting the words of Christ dwell in you richly. It's meditating on the Word of God, knowing the Word of God, obeying the Word of God, submitting to the Word of God. It's not some weird thing where you get this feeling and you start beating a tambourine and handling snakes. Amen? You know, Dalton... Robertson sent me this email or this uh, YouTube video of a camp meeting with guy, one guy jumped into the baptistry and other guys running around the room throwing their coats and all that. And that's supposed to be an evidence of the Holy Ghost. No, that's weird. <laughs> evidence of the Holy Spirit is singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Where are you going to get those psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? From the Word of God. Letting the words of Christ dwell in you richly, Colossians 3.16. So the filling of the Holy Spirit is being filled with the Word of God, meditating on that and living it. Walking out into the world with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's what being filled with the Holy Spirit is. That's the only way we can live the Christian life. That's it. Amen? So, let's look at our text today. Look at chapter 4. Let's start reading in verse 8. How be it then? You know what? We better read uh, 
verse 4. Don't y'all laugh at me. You'll be old someday. But when the fullness of the time was come, have I ever given a verse and then started reading there? No? Okay. Note takers beware. All right. Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might become, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Isn't that awesome? You know, we're not slaves to God. We're sons. We're sons. And that's why we serve Him, because we love Him. And what, what has He given us? It's an amazing thing. So now, our text is verses 8 through 11. Look at what it says. How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, please help us to understand your word today. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your offer of the free gift of salvation. It's free to us, but it costs you everything. Lord, thank you for that grace. and Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as Savior, they're not sure that if they died today, they'd go to heaven. Lord, I pray that today that you'll draw them to yourself. Lord, help us now as we study your word. Give us your mind. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's our context. We are heirs of God. Is that right? Heirs of God. We have a great inheritance. My uh, mother-in-law was talking about not wanting to do something because it costs so much money. And I said, that's good. Save it for me. <laughs> Amen? Inherit now, how many of you think that's rude? Would you raise your hands if you think that's rude? It's awesome. Um, the, that's inheritance. And some of us hope to have an inheritance someday. I guess I need to be a nicer son-in-law if I hope to have some inheritance. Everybody else, and Jim, you get the cat or whatever. Um, we're heirs. We're heirs with God. We really do have a wonderful inheritance coming to us. Is that right? But we also get a wonderful life now if we will trust Christ and, and believe Him for our daily walk with the Lord. So we're heirs of God. But for some, the temptation to go back is almost overwhelming. The lure of the world, the lure of the past life is almost overwhelming. So let's look at this text today and see what we can learn. The first thing that we learn in verse 8 is that everyone serves something. We are servants to something. How be it then, so this is before you got saved, before you were an heir and a joint heir with Christ. How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. Now, we all serve something. We all have or have had gods which by nature are no gods. 
All right. So what does that mean? Which by nature are no gods. So if somebody is a great follower of Elton John, that great picture of manhood. All right. I, I watched him get off an airport on the new or on an airplane, and he was wearing a onesie. That's something I never needed to see. Okay. But here's the thing. There are people that are Elton John fanatics. He's their god. Um, I don't know who's big in music now. You know that you're out of touch when you see a list of the top 40 and you've never heard of any of them. So I'm a little out of touch. But these people, they, they are worshipped as gods or maybe a sports figure. Maybe a Michael Jordan or an Albert Pujols or a LeBron James and all the people in Ohio said, boo. You have these, these idols, these gods. might be the dollar. It might be your family. It might be whatever, career. These are things that before we come to know Christ, we worship, we go after. They are our gods. Now, of course, in the context... He's talking to people who were tied up in Judaism and in the things of the law or pagan rituals, pagan idols. But you understand there are people who call themselves Christians who bow down to idols all the time. Uh, when I was at St. Peter's in Rome, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, um, the first thing that I saw when I walked in was a young girl. It looked like she was college age, and she kissed her finger and, and touched an idol or touched a an icon, I'm not sure what it would be called. It was a frieze of a, of a saint or something on the wall. Now, that's veneration. Is that right? That, that's veneration of that idol. And so th- that happens in Christianity, um, in, in the Buddhist religions or in the Hindu religions. Hindus, I know that people, they, they starve in India because they don't want to kill the cow because they worship the cow. That's sad, isn't it? Holy cow, Batman. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing what people give themselves to and what they worship. And all of us in time past worshipped something. We did service unto them as if we were worshipping the one true God. We know something about how to be devoted to God because we were all devoted to something in the past. How many of you had a hobby when you were young that you really got into? Any of you? you, you something that... You just, you were consumed with it, right? For today, it's video games. I could just picture what's going through Jacob's head right now. And we were watching, Lydia had to sell her cards for camp. She had to get enough, so we took her out last night. And here's what happens when Lydia and Jacob are selling. We're in the car watching this. Lydia's walking with her cards, and Jacob is talking. And I guarantee you it was you know, some video game or some superhero or something. All of us have devoted ourselves to something in the past. All of us have done that. I devoted myself to basketball when I was young. Hours and hours and hours and hours given to playing basketball, which was, you know, obviously I had a great future in that. That was a great investment, right? All the skills needed to become a preacher and... But I devoted myself to that. And all of us could think of something that we were interested in that we have devoted ourselves to. We understand what worship is, really. The objective of Bible preaching is to convince us that we should be living for Jesus with at least the same devotion that 
we had when we were following something else. Is that fair? Let me read you what James Knox said. I listened to his sermon on this text. He, I, so I typed exactly what he said. Everyone knows how to be a disciple. You just need to convince them to not be a disciple of Budweiser or the Steelers or the Mall or the Dollar and be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That, that just really resonated with me. That, that made sense. Because sometimes when we think of worship, we wonder... Uh, now, how many of you honestly would like to know how to worship God better? I think that all of us who love Christ, that is a desire. But all of us have a baseline that I don't know that we realized we had. Knox pointed this out to me. I think that this is a great analogy. The things that we have given ourselves to, we understand. He went on. People know how to worship and adore and give. What we need to do is now that we are saved, we need to take all of those emotions of our heart and all of that energy of our will and redirect it. I don't believe we need to learn how to worship or how to serve or how to fellowship or how to witness. Everybody does that about something. We just need to so fall in love with Jesus Christ that we want that energy to go to Him. And we want that time to go to Him. And we want that conversation to be about Him. And we want that hurrah to be about Him. Isn't that good? So now, that doesn't mean that you can't pull for the Steelers if you're mentally challenged. Nick Arling. That doesn't mean... You know, I, I'm excited about the Bears this year. we got some receivers. My, our quarterback has hopefully healed his finger or whatever it was. I'm excited about that. And, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But shouldn't we have at least that much excitement for Christ? And I wonder, and this is a good challenge for you young guys, I wonder if you have ever had the excitement for Christ that you have for making that basket or for following your favorite sports figure or for whatever it is that you are interested in. Do you have that same desire for Christ that you have for them? Isn't that a great, isn't that a great thing? So that's something that we can work toward. I remember when uh, I first met Laura and I started dating her and I started pursuing her. Some would call it stalking, but <laughs> I, I, I started dating her. Well, man, I really, I really tried. I would bathe, <laughs> breath mints. You know, I, I would do everything I could to make a good impression on her. And now we're married and I don't have to worry about it. But I did everything I could to pursue her. You know that we ought to do everything we can to pursue Christ. To follow after Christ. See, we all understand these things, don't we? We understand these things. And so all of us have had gods in the past, things that we would venerate or things that we have been devoted to. Discipleship is teaching the convert to love Christ the way that they love their favorite things. That's, that's good. And that's been very convicting to me because all of us remember. How many of you remember when you got saved? That excitement that joy, that thrill. And I wonder where that devotion is today. What are you giving yourself to today? Because the temptation is to go back. Now, look at our text again. Verse 8, Howbeit, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. So all of us, all of us have served something. But now look at verse 9. But now... 
after that ye have known God. So now you know true value. Is that right? Now we have seen the real thing. Christ is better than anything else we could devote our lives to. Would you all agree with that? He's better than anything else that we could devote our lives to. He's worthy of our devotion, our praise, and our worship. Would you all agree with that? Um, You know, you watch some of these uh, shows on television where a star will come into their town. And do you remember the Elvis phenomenon or the Beatles phenomenon? You know, these girls shaking and passing out. It's weird stuff, man. People talk about Christians being weird. That was weird. I don't care what anybody says. There's no singer in the world that I'm going to pass out over. There's some that might make me pass out by the way that they sing. But now look. When people adore Christ that way, when people get emotional over Christ, the world thinks we're weird. Isn't that right? But how many of you have ever gotten emotional over your love for your kids? When your kids were born or when your, kid was, when your child was sick, the pastor was telling me about when their son Isaac, this pastor I was with out in Oklahoma, their son Isaac, he's two, most adorable kid you've ever seen. But when he was um, a little under one, he got real sick. And it got to where all of a sudden he was real lethargic. They'd pick up his arm and it would just drop. And they took him to the doctor and he, they rushed him to the hospital and they thought he was going to die. He had been sick. He was just severely dehydrated. But as he described that and how he, he described riding his motorcycle to the hospital and beating the helicopter to the hospital there in Washington, how many of you can immediately go in your mind to something like that and to the way that you would feel? Well, we have, we, we have genuine emotional response when something happens to our children. Well, we ought to have that genuine emotional attachment to our Savior. And I think one of the reasons why sometimes we lack that is we simply do not spend time with Him. We do not devote our heart. We don't devote our time, our passions. We don't devote our lives to the one who is to be our Lord. Would you all agree with that? That's something that we have to be careful of, and He's worthy of it. Now, um, so it says, now you have known God. That's what it says in our text. You've known a relationship with a star, and I have that capitalized on my notes, that cares about you. You know, it's interesting. We can, we can develop an emotional attachment to a singer or to a television show character. There are people that they really think they know these people that they listen to. You know what I'm talking about? They really feel like they know them. Or, or there's a character that an actor... Uh, portrays on a television show and that character connects with you in some way. And you think that that person is speaking for you and you get to where you feel like you know them. And then you actually see them in an interview and it's a different voice, it's a different person. Some manly guy is really a sissy. You know, I love these guys that make these, these shoot 'em up movies and then they go and fight for gun control. Right? Because they don't believe anything that they're portraying. They're just taking our money to do that. But with Jesus Christ, we know Him, and He is genuinely a star. Isn't that right? He is genuinely the one to be worshipped, and He actually cares about us. Those stars don't care about you. They, they, They couldn't care less. So you have a known relationship with one that cares about you. Here's how much Jesus cares about you. He became you. 
He became you. You know, the, people enter contests to have some star come to their house. Or Mike and Mike, you know, they'll have a barbecue in your backyard. And people are, well, that's for one day. And that's for one person. Jesus Christ became human for the whole world. He really cares about us. That's the difference. Then look at what it says. Look at verse 9 again. But now, after that you have known God, then look at this. Or rather are known of God. See, it's like these stars. Let's say it's Michael Jordan. I was a huge Michael Jordan fan. I love to watch him play basketball. I don't know if anyone's ever played the game the way that Jordan played the game. One time Wade told me that Jordan was overrated. How can you overrate the best? Right? So after church, everyone go and tell Wade how dumb he is, okay? No, it's an interesting thing. I, was a, I, was a, I really liked Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan didn't know me from Adam. He doesn't know me at all. doesn't know anything about me. See, here's the thing with God. Not only do we know Him, but much better, He knows us. He knows us, and He cares about us. He cares everything about you. He knows you better than anyone else. He knows everything about you, and not only loves you, He wants a relationship with you. He desires communication with you. He desires to be involved in your life. That's what He wants to do. This is the one that we are to worship. Is that right? That's, that's who we are, ought to worship. So now, look at what it says in verse 9. Uh, I, I, I put this. It says, or rather are known of God. He's not aloof. All right? He is transcendent. He's above all. That's what holiness is. He's far above our wickedness. He's far above our sin. He's far above our knowledge. Is that right? And yet He's with us. He's not only transcendent, He's imminent. That's the difference between our God and every other God. Allah doesn't care about His people. He's precocious. See, you, you, you never have any... Well, if somebody does, well, Allah wills it. Allah wills it. We don't know. We know Jesus Christ. We know what His will is. He's told us. We know Him. He loves us. He, uh, we're known of Him. Then, He knows you without disdain. He knows you without disdain. You know, He never looks at the huddled masses. And because they're not exactly right looks at them with anything other than love if they've turned to Him. Now, the Bible says He is angry with the wicked every day. Is that right? He's angry with the wicked, but He loves the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son for us, known of God. Now, look at what it says. There's, here's a question, and I've divided it into two questions. Look at verse 9. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how... Turn ye again. So that's a great question, isn't it? And the, there's the, the implication, the, the wording of it has a note of incredulity. Are you serious? Really? After all that God has done for you, after what you used to worship, now you're an heir and a joint heir with Christ. Now you know God and rather even better are known of God how turn ye again? What a trade. Imagine trading a mansion for a dirty lawn chair in a landfill. Have you ever been to a landfill? Right? It smells great. Don't you love the stuff that's floating? You feel like you're getting cancer when you're there. Just, just being there. Imagine giving away a mansion and living there. That'd be silly, right? 
that, that would be silly. How about this? How about trading in a Rolls Royce? A Rolls Royce for, what did I write? Yeah. A slave caravan. You see, that's what it's saying, isn't it? Look at what it says. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? So we go from the Rolls Royce to the slave caravan, and here's the silly part. They're doing that willingly. Now, how many of you think that's stupid? That's just really ignorant. And yet, all the time, I'll bet you there might be someone in this room. You're on the verge of going back. You've come to know Christ. You, you, you're saved. You've experienced salvation. And yet, that siren call of your old life is drawing you back. There might be someone here. You're ready right now to walk away from the Lord. You're ready right now to walk away from your commitment to the Lord. You're ready right now to walk away from church and from the people of God because you just like the world. And look at the way the Bible describes it. Now, there's two reasons why people do that. Number one, they might not be saved at all. You might be here today and you're doing all the religious stuff, but you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. It'd be very easy for you to go back because you don't have the Holy Spirit of God in you helping you. But there are saved people who walk away from God. Did you know that? There are saved people who love the world so much that they go back into it. And so here's the question. Here's the question. How turn ye again? How turn ye again? We have faulty memories of the past. Remember, you, you talk about, hey, honey, you remember when we first got married? Remember that little apartment? Remember how, how happy we were? But while you were in that apartment, you hated it. You didn't have any food. You didn't have any money. You just went in debt for 25 years for a couch. Isn't that right? You look back, and you look back on it with these rose-colored glasses as if it was awesome. And it was terrible. Hey, do you remember when we went out and partied? Remember how hammered we got? Then you threw up for three days. That's great. You couldn't wait to get to the bathroom. It was awful. But you look back, man, it was awesome. That's what Satan does to us, folks. You, you watch these, these commercials and everybody in the bar is just having a hoot, right? When's the last time you walked into a bar? Now, I'm not recommending it. But most of the time, you, you, if you, you ever walk into one of those places, you ever look in the doors, first of all, most of them are real dingy. They're grungy, right? Feel like you need a bath. And then you look around, and those people are not happy. They're, you know, I, I don't see the party, and I've never seen a train come through a wall. It's a lie. It's a lie. That stuff brings you... How many of you know an alcoholic? Seriously, would you raise your hand? How many of you know somebody that struggled with alcoholism? Isn't it great? That's awesome. You know what that is? Weak and beggarly. It is. How many of you ever noticed somebody that worshipped money? They gave their life to money. They didn't spend time with their family. They gave their life to money. And then the kids are gone. And what do they always say? Hey, spend time with your kids. It wasn't worth it. Spend time. Yeah, great time to learn it now. It's like that Tim Hawkins version of The Cats in the Cradle. You know, the, the Christian comedian guy, he does these short versions of songs. 
You know that song, Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon? And he said, and he grew up to be a jerk like me. That's basically the whole song. Well, the guy was a jerk. Didn't have time for his family. Didn't have time for anything. There's nobody that looks back and says, man, I'm so thankful I made all this money and didn't spend time with my family. And I can promise you this. No one is going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and say, I thank God that I devoted myself to everything else except you, Christ. See, what are those things? They're weak and they are beggarly. And we, we, we've got to recognize that. We have a false view of the past. Look at the words used to describe this. How turn ye again? These things are weak. Jesus Christ is strong. These things are beggarly. And Jesus Christ has made you an heir and a joint heir with Him. Why would you trade that? Why would you trade that? Now, let me say this. Young people, here's the deal. You've got friends that are going to be talking about their great parties. They're going to be talking about all this cool stuff they're doing. When the simple fact is, almost no one really has fun at those parties. They're trying to fit in. They're trying to look like somebody else. There are one or two cool people, and the rest of them are nerds. Would you people say amen? amen. Isn't that exactly right? It's this, this idea of fitting in, you will never be, girls, you'll never be pretty enough. You'll never be pretty enough. But you know what? Jesus Christ made you just the way He wants you. Amen. Amen. Guys, you're never going to be cool enough. You're never going to be funny enough. You're never going to be athletic enough to be the man. How many guys play in the NFL? How many guys play in the NBA? How many are, are those people? When you look at the best players in college basketball, and they're sitting the bench in the pros. The best are sitting the bench in the pros. And... We give ourselves to that, and we worship that. And the Bible says it's weak and it's beggarly. All these football players that are dying young, they're hitting the head so many times they die. Let's do that. Let's, let's make that our life choice. Good idea. Amen? Are you all with me on this? You see, we've got to understand that our culture is... Now, if you want to play football, play football. If you want to play basketball, play basketball. I'm not preaching against those things. I hope you see what I'm saying. But let's keep them in their proper place. Let's keep them in their proper perspective. Uh, and I'm not just saying this to keep them from being mad. I'm thankful for our coaches that are in the church. I'm th- they influence young people's lives. They teach them the right kind of perspective. Some of these kids they work with have terrible homes. The only godly person they'll ever see is that coach or that teacher. Praise God for those people. Amen. But you coaches and you, 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 those of you who are involved in sports, make sure that you keep Christ in His proper place. Um, I watched uh, yesterday afternoon, there was a thing on Kurt Warner, the football player Kurt Warner, a, a life in football or something it was called. And I told Laura, after I watched that, he made me want to be a better man. The way he approached all that stuff and his testimony for Christ, and uh, all of the, that was encouraging to me. That was encouraging to me when he was benched for someone else. He never complained. He did everything he could to help that kid when he was way better than the kid that was behind him. He just, is that awesome? That is a, that's, that's, he was being Christ-like. So those, those Christ-like traits can be manifested in sports, but not if you're making that sport your God. If Jesus Christ isn't your Lord, then you're going to be just like the world. You're going to approach it just like the world. And the same thing can be said about education. Uh, when you go to college, the same thing can be said about your, your career, your job. The same thing could be said to me. I know lots of worldly preachers who it's all about building their church and building their kingdom. It doesn't matter what your vocation is. If you put something ahead of Christ, it's weak and it's beggarly. Don't go back. Don't go back. 
says, Why do you desire to be in bondage again? Then look at verse 11. I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon your labor in vain. You see, the Apostle Paul feared for them. Do you see that? He feared for them. He, he had made an investment in them. It's like your kids. How many of you want your kids to be weak and beggarly? Would you raise your hand? Anybody here? Why? You love them. And you're investing in them. You're investing time. You're investing love. You're investing money. Is that right? In your children. Well, that's the same thing with discipleship. That's the same thing with the Christian life. The Apostle Paul had invested in them, and he was afraid it was going to be all for nothing. But here's the thing that's even more important than that. Jesus Christ invested in you. Jesus Christ gave you everything. Jesus Christ gave you more than anyone else could give you by dying for you. Jesus Christ bore your sin. You see, I might see you in a struggle and jump into that struggle and be killed. Notice I didn't say save you because I probably would not do well. But if I jumped into that struggle and I was killed for you, I could do that for you, but I could never pay for your sin. And Jesus Christ was made sin for us. He, he has invested so much in us. Do you think He's worthy of our praise? Is he, is he worthy of our worship, our devotion? Now let's compare our devotion to Christ for our devotion to whatever it is that we're interested in. And I think that many times we'd have to say that we're lacking. Well, that's not to make you feel guilty. That's not what this is here for. It's to, make you, it's to remind you of who Christ is. You go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I asked the people in Washington. I was about an hour north of Seattle, and it's beautiful. These mountains all over the place, the Skagit River, this huge river. They pull these king salmon out of them. He just walks out of his front porch and goes and casts a line. And it's just ridiculous how beautiful it is up there. And I said to the church, do you all ever walk out and you look up and you go, oh, yeah, it's pretty here. When we lived in Tennessee, there's some folks here from Knoxville. When we lived in Tennessee, we would do that. Every once in a while, you'd, you'd walk out and you'd go, oh, man, look at this. This place is gorgeous. It's beautiful. Um, what we've done today is we've just tried to get you to look up and see Christ. And you know what will happen if you see Christ? You won't go back. If you genuinely compare Christ to your past life, if you compare Christ to anything else you've invested in, you know what that's going to be? Weak and beggarly compared to the Savior. So let's do this. Let's not go back. Would you all say that? Let's all say it out loud. You ready? Let's not go back. One more time. Let's not go back for our kids, for our families, for this community. Let's go on for the Lord. Let's do that. He's worth it. He's worth it. Let's not be fickle like the people in Galatia. Let's say, you know what, Jesus Christ, your Lord, your Lord, I'm going to worship you today. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word.